Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you for joining us via Rabble TV or World Soccer Talk. We've had so many things going on, FIFA scandals, resumption of internet, uh, resumption of domestic league plays in, in Europe. A lot of talk about the coach here in the United States, Jurgen Klinsmann. We've talked about that subject over and over again on Divers and Cheats. MLS is about to enter their playoffs. I'm in a bit of a down mood today because of Fort Lauderdale Strikers, team I support in the second division of North American soccer, the NASL. They didn't get the result they needed last night to make the postseason, though they still have a shot at it, certainly. They still control their own destiny, actually, but the schedule coming in is very difficult for them. So a lot going on. But there's one thing that seems to be overriding everything else. And I'm not talking about Jurgen Klopp, although that is a close second. It's a continued discussion and behavior of Jose Mourinho, the Chelsea manager, the Chelsea boss, the former Porto boss, the former Chelsea boss, uh, part one, Inter, and Real Madrid. Chelsea won the Premier League title last season. They've won four Premier League titles in their history. Three of them were Jose Mourinho led teams. But I think it's very important to note that Mourinho has a short-term effect everywhere he goes. And we're going to get into that tonight. We're going to get into the cult of personality and how it's impacting Chelsea Football Club, how it's impacting the players that play for Jose Mourinho, how it's impacting the media, that covers Jose Mourinho and Chelsea Football Club in the UK and globally, and how, in fact, it's impacting the careers of some of those those players that currently play for Chelsea Football Club, including Eden Hazard, who by most standards is a world-class player, but he hasn't been playing like one recently. And what's next for Chelsea and Mourinho? Or what's next for Chelsea after Mourinho? Maybe a more appropriate question, but we'll get to all of that today. So Jose Mourinho is a master of mind games. That's what he does. That is how he shook up English football when he arrived in 2004 
He was able to beat Manchester United in the Champions League. Probably has an American to thank for that. That was uh, Tim Howard. <laughs> Goalkeeping error. But he beat Manchester United in the Champions League at Porto. Did his little touchline dance, if you want to call it that. And was the flavor of the month. And he became got hired by Chelsea, became the flavor of the month and the flavor of the year. We had things like Special One TV. We had the media fawning all over him in Britain. We had genuine sadness. News stories that ended up becoming editorial commentary and obituaries when Mourinho was sacked by Chelsea in 2007. About a month into his fourth season at the club. He had won two Premier League titles. He had won two FA Cups. He had won a League Cup. Pretty good record. And when he left Chelsea in 2007, he had some very distinguished players, leading players in English football, that genuinely were ripped emotionally. John Terry, the captain of Chelsea Football Club. Captain legend leader. That's what Chelsea fans like to say about John Terry. He was devastated by Mourinho's departure. Didier Drogba, one of the greatest African players ever, devastated. One of the greatest goal scorers we've seen in, in, in the Premier League. One of the most lethal goal scorers. Frank Lampard, best goal scoring midfielder in the history of the English game, or at least in the history of the Premier League era, was crying, devastated by Mourinho's departure. We're going to talk a little bit about how all three of those players may feel about Mourinho today in 2015 later in the show. Remember, JT, Drogba, Lampard, the big three, the three players that ran Chelsea Football Club in the absence of a strong manager after Mourinho departed. When they went through Avram Grant and Scolari and Heating and Ancelotti, who was a player's manager, then AVB took over the club. That that core rebelled, those three guys. And, of course, Roberto Di Matteo, a former teammate of both, uh, of both JT's and Frank Lampard, was appointed. They supported him. Not sure they were thrilled when he was sacked and replaced by Rafa Benitez. But I, I think it's important to note that, that, that those guys, they, they have a very different view of Mourinho Mark II than Mourinho part one and that's part of what I want to get into today because the Mourinho the Mourinho discussion in 2015 is different than the Mourinho discussion in 2007 and that's because Jose's done it to himself so he leaves England right goes to Italy wins the trouble with Inter in 2010 that was a great achievement I, I nothing I would not take that away from him and he is a winner but he irritated the Italian media With his whining, his narcissism, his complaints about referees. Went to Spain. Once he went to Spain, he, they, they made him want to, the media there made him want to run back to Italy, in fact. Because the Spanish, Spanish press never liked Mourinho. The Catalan press derided him as the, as the translator. Feel bad for him for that. He was the translator for Sir Bobby Robson. Translated English to... Spanish, I believe. Maybe Catalan, English to Catalan. Definitely translated from Sir Bobby at, uh, in Portugal from English to Portuguese. And he either did English to Spanish or English to Catalan, maybe both. I'm not sure. Barcelona as a football club has become, uh, they've always been part of the Catalan movement. 
but now, as I was talking about with uh, uh, someone, fellow media member last night at the Strikers game, uh, it's now kind of off the charts. Their, this, their, their just their, their, their identity and, 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 and all of that. I don't want to get into politics and, and Catalan, the Catalonian separation tonight, so that, that might be a topic for another day. It might be a good topic to talk to someone like Sid Lowe about from The Guardian. He's a former political writer who's one of the best football writers now in the world. Great political writer, too. So he knows that subject like the back of his hand. It's not 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 for me to discuss tonight. So anyway, Mourinho goes to Spain, and he's derided already by the Catalan press. The Madrid test press turns on him pretty quickly. But I have to say, he accomplished a fair amount with Real Madrid. And, and what he did was he broke Barcelona's domination in the league, the Pep Guardiola era domination of the league which I think was really, really good for the game in Spain. He was able to finally get Real Madrid out of the round of 16 in the Champions League. People tend to forget this, that Real Madrid was getting eliminated by the likes of Leon every season at the Champions League level. There was even a Champions League draw where Real Madrid was in pot two and Sevilla was in pot one. I kid you not. For people who just became football uh, fans in the last few years, they might be shocked by that. I think it was the draw for the 08-09 Champions League, or 07-08, one of those Champions Leagues, where Sevilla was in a higher pot than Real Madrid. Think about that just in terms, historically, even, of performance in the Spanish League. That's how poorly Real Madrid was doing in Europe. They won the back-to-back European titles, uh, and then they ushered in the Galactico era. They had a great player, Raul, who's now playing uh, here in in the United States with the New York Cosmos, they they didn't do well in Europe from that point forward through many managers. You can name them. Kiros, Capello, Bern Schuster, Juan D. Ramos, Manuel Pellegrini. They all lost early in the Champions League. The same round Pellegrini keeps losing in from, with Manchester City, by the way, although he has far more rope at Manchester City much more appreciative of his, his talents as a manager in, in Manchester than they were in Madrid. But um, Mourinho got them past that stage all three years he was there. He got them to the semifinals all three years, and he won the League Cup. Thank you, Arthur, you're mentioning that. He won the Copa del Rey that first season. Although you don't want to hand Sergio Ramos a trophy. We learned that, but he won it, right? That wasn't Mourinho's fault about the trophy. Uh, those who don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. I'm sure there's... You'll see it on YouTube. And uh, then lost to Atleti. I, this, this issue, though, of Simeone and Atleti, Atletico Madrid, they began to beat Real Madrid. Crosstown rivalry. They began to beat Real Madrid with Mourinho there. So that's something that Mourinho's detractors will always point out, that the long term, I think Atleti hadn't beaten Real Madrid in a competitive match or something like that since 1999. And then they started beating them regularly. But I think they were just very good. They were very unlucky not to win both the Champions League and the La Liga a couple of seasons ago, the year after Mourinho left, actually, Ancelotti's first season. So that that's um, that's something. But so Real Madrid, like everybody else, f- fell out with Mourinho. But I, I don't want to blame that on Mourinho because Real Madrid, they have problems with every manager. You know, Rafa Benitez isn't long for the world there. And I think Rafa had expected that he would always have the Liverpool job open for him, but that's not going to be the case anymore with Jurgen Klopp there. So Jose comes back to England, and it's like a hero returning. It's like a conquering hero. Can you imagine how the British troops were welcomed back after World War II? 
after this six-year war, which they had won and saved democracy and freedom, <laughs> Soy Mourinho was welcome back to England. And he was the happy one, and he talked about his love for English football. He talked about that while he was in Italy and, and, and Spain. But something went wrong with, um, him, with him and the media in England in this second stint and with some of his players. So, so let's get into some of those, those issues. Mourinho began to lose the media when he called Arsene Wenger a specialist in failure in February 2014. Ill-advised comment. Wenger is prickly, he's difficult, he's arrogant, but he also has an incredible amount of respect and credit in England. May not have that in the rest of the world. I don't know if people around the globe see Arsenal as this kind of gigantic club. They, they, they are, but I don't know if people, I don't know if the media on the, on the continent respects Wenger and is defer, as deferential to Wenger as the English press is. But I mean, Arsene Wenger has now been in the Premier League for 20 years. He's an institution. So Mourinho coming back into the league and chiding Wenger, there were certain people in the media who checked out on Mourinho at that moment. Most people didn't, but there were a few that did. I would include John Cross from The Mirror. As one of them, I think at that point he began his his, and he's an influential writer, the Daily Mirror in the UK. He also is an Arsenal supporter, which, in the interest of full disclosure, I should say, I'm not sure he always discloses that, but he's an Arsenal supporter. But once Mourinho started to started this thing with Wenger, he he became much more critical of Mourinho. And then I think, and. Uh, real quickly, Ata is saying Fiorentino Perez is the main problem at Real Madrid. Yes. So I think every single manager will just, I want to keep going with my narrative in a minute, but I think every single manager is in that position where they have run afoul of Perez at some point. That happened with Fabio Capello. I'm not sure if that's what happened with Bern Schuster, although Schuster did well and got sacked. Certainly happened with Manuel Pellegrini. Manuel Pellegrini was done before he started, uh, before his first season started at Manchester. At, uh, excuse me, he's been quite good at Manchester City. Uh, his first season started at Real Madrid because he had disagreed with the sale of uh, uh, two players by Perez. The two players you might have heard of. One guy's name is Wesley Schneider, Dutch international, who then went to Mourinho and won the Champions League. The other guy's name is Arjen Robin who then went to Bayern and won the Champions League and has won a lot of other things, too. So, uh, And he's a Dutch international, of course, also. So you might have heard of those guys, but that's, again, why Pellegrini, he gets to Real Madrid. He has these two players he likes. And I can just imagine Pellegrini with, with Robin. That's his kind of player, now that I know his management style so well for Man- Manchester City. He must have been salivating over that guy. And then he sold <laughs> within a month of... of, of uh, Pellegrini being there. So Pellegrini fell out with him before that first season. I think Mourinho, they tolerated until the 2011 Champions League against Barcelona when Mourinho talked about Barcelona getting all kinds of calls and claiming there was some sort of conspiracy. That began to worry folks, and that's when the Spanish press really turned on him. Even though he won the Copa del Rey, that season, and they won the league the following season with, with, with a massive point total. I think, though, uh, his, his comments about 
Barcelona. A lot of times Mourinho is over the top, and we're getting to that in this show. He's over the top in so much that he does. But his comments about Barcelona and officiating in Europe, I can't argue with him. It's just the way he presents himself. I mean, there's a clear pattern with Barcelona getting calls, starting with that game against uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in 2009 in the semifinal second leg, and then going on to uh, the following season against Mourinho's Inter, where Inter still beat them. But <laughs> they beat them in spite of some very strange calls. And then 2011, of course, I think the, Mourinho was complaining about the, the Pepe sending off and, and, and all of that, but the real crime that year had happened earlier against Arsenal in the second leg when Robin Van Persie was sent off for something. Second yellow for something. I just can't, don't even, can't even tell you what the official sent him off for, but Arsenal was in control of the tie at that point. People forget that. So the two years under Pep Guardiola that Barcelona won the Champions League, they had very questionable calls against English clubs to get through to the final against Chelsea one time and Arsenal the other. And then uh, there was that kind of run of questionable calls continued in 2014 against Manchester City in the round of 16, but they didn't win the, uh, the, the, the uh, Champions League that season. So people forget that. And then last season, they didn't have any of those. They didn't, they didn't face an English club. But there, there are three clear instances of Barcelona getting through knockout stages. I think the Manchester City ones were a little less egregious, although Pellegrini was angry. Pellegrini's a guy who doesn't speak out often, and he got suspended after that. So uh, that's one thing Mourinho and Pellegrini might have in common. They, they, don't, they don't have much style-wise in common. They don't like one another, but they both feel like Barcelona gets calls. So it's probably true that Barcelona gets calls if those two guys agree on it. And Wenger agrees on it, too. That's right, because he said it also. So the guys, I think that's a universal statement, universal acceptance from these managers. So anyway, getting back to Mourinho in England. So February 2014, he says this about Wenger. Then he starts attacking the officials. Chelsea, there has been a narrative about Chelsea in in the 2013-2014 season that Mourinho inherited Benitez's team or the team that was built by Di Matteo and AVB and, 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 and Hemelou, the football director. He didn't really have the team he wanted. So it was a, a, a wash that season. But the reality is Chelsea was in control of that title race and flushed it down the toilet and allowed both Liverpool and Manchester City in. And then by beating Liverpool, handed the title to Manchester City. But they were in control of that title race. They lost to Aston Villa was fighting relegation. That was a game where uh, Mourinho mocked the officials and talked about the officials having, a, the, I think Mike Dean was the official, how he had a fantastic performance and need to applaud that, uh, being very sarcastic and got uh, got in trouble with the FA for that. And then they lost, uh, they, they dropped points to Norwich City, who was relegated that same day, I believe, or maybe the next weekend. They, at home, they lost to Sunderland at home. That was the first home loss at Stamford Bridge Mourinho had ever suffered in the league, Sunderland escaped relegation because of that result. And they lost to Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park in that in that stretch. So they, they they took all six points off Manchester City, took all six points off Liverpool, they took four points off of uh they took four points off of Arsenal, took four points off of Manchester United that season. They're 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 rivals for the title. And yet they finished third. 
and flush the toilet down the drain because of those other those other results. So some people give him a pass. Others don't. Kyle Martino of NBC Sports here in the United States doesn't give him a pass for that season. And I think Martino is one of the best guys to listen to about Mourinho. He's very, very, very on point about Jose. So they don't win the title that year, but he gets away with it. That summer, he brings in Fabregas. Wenger didn't want him back. Wenger is convinced that Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshere, some of those guys are, are, are better than Fabregas. Wilshere is always hurt, but Ramsey, I think at this point, is a better player than Fabregas, personally. I, I didn't think that last season. I think he is now. Uh, and then they bring in, they brought Matic back. Um, yeah, yeah, Robert, see, you're right. They lost to Stoke also in that stretch. And then they had lost to Newcastle a little earlier. But yes, uh, the, Mourinho has never beaten Newcastle away from home. That's the one club he's had enormous problems with in his Premier League management career. And I would also point out when Kevin Keegan, Newcastle legend, man, managed Manchester City, he didn't beat him either. Uh, he didn't beat Manchester City when Keegan was the manager. He didn't beat Manchester City until Stuart Pearce had taken over. So he has a thing with Newcastle and Jordies and, and Kevin Keegan. So I, I, it's just a strange thing. You're very lucky to even get a draw against him this year against McLaren. So that, so at that point, Mourinho, he gets this cl- kind of clean slate, but some of the media has already turned against him for, for the, the things that he got charged with by the FA and also the comment about Arsene Wenger being a success, a, 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 uh, fail, uh, failure. Oh, and Robert C is reminding me the little horse comment too. That was that same time, right? That he was a little horse, and and uh, the big horses were Arsenal, Liverpool, and Manchester City. And <laughs> Pellegrini mocked that little horse comment. But also, what was also very interesting during that period of time was that that was when I think he lost guys like Kyle Martino here in the American press. I remember Martino just thinking that was hilarious that he would say Chelsea was a little horse against Liverpool, especially who hadn't spent that much money or had spent money. But a lot of those guys that they spent money on the Downings and the, uh, the Andy Carroll's had been moved on already. I mean, really they were, they were surviving that season on storage who Chelsea gave up at, at, at a very low fee. Suarez, who they paid a lot for, but was worth a lot more than they paid for, right? And they got a lot more back for him. And Raheem Sterling, who they had bought from QPR as a as a young player, as a, as a teenager, and who was still a teenager at that point. Those were really the three guys that were that were spurring Liverpool on, and and, and they weren't they didn't cost a lot of money, relatively speaking. So the, 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 that summer, he goes out and spends money. He gets the guys he wants. And they come out of the gates flying. They don't lose a game until they lose to, guess who? Robert C. knows who. Newcastle in December. They didn't lose a game last. Think about this. Manchester City people are saying are going to win the title this year. They're pretty sure of it. They've already lost two games. Arsenal, the other team that's going to challenge them, they've already lost two games in the league. We're in mid-October. Last season, Chelsea didn't lose a game until December. And we were talking about maybe Invincibles. So they didn't lose a game till December, but then things began to go kind of badly. They, they, they drew this game against Southampton. Mourinho made some strange comments again. They, they, they lost the game to Spurs on New Year's Day. Man City caught them in the table, but then uh, African Cup of Nations came around. And they were in a position 
where because Yaya Torre, this happens every time there's a couple of African nations. I know this is a Manchester City supporter. Because Yaya Torre went away, then Chelsea opened up, I think, a seven-point gap again or something against City by the time Torre returned. And Torre really wasn't himself. And Wilfred Bonet, who City bought, also went to the Cup of African Nations, and he didn't play very well after he got back. So uh, Chelsea won the title by eight points or ten points or something like that. They ran away with it. And Mourinho, though, in that period... After the, the Spurs game and to the point they won the title, you can talk about his tactics becoming more negative. There's been a lot of retrospective look at that. Actually, there was some look at it even last season, but a lot of retrospective talk about that in the last few weeks as the wheels have come off Chelsea this season. But he kept his mouth shut. He wasn't behaving like the look at me, look at me narcissist that he is. And that was, I think, because they were actually winning and everything was under control. And he was basking in the glory of the win. Uh, Ata asked, is it safe to say Mourinho's type of more the type of motivator coach instead of being a tactician like people think he is? I believe that is correct. I've always thought that was correct. I think he has some very basic tactical understanding. Park the bus is basic. He doesn't always park the bus, though. That, that's, that's unfair. It's because he's termed, termed it. He coined that term. But, yeah, he's he's not the most tactical manager. But I don't know if you want a tactician because Brendan Rodgers was tinkering with tactics all the time. And look at where he ended up. And I have to say, among people may not realize this, a lot of people weren't watching soccer at the time. The United States is really our national team has had one really interesting tactical manager in, in, in my lifetime. And that was Steve Sampson. And you saw how it ended up for him. And it ended up badly for him because he was tinkering with the tactics and decided to go with a formation that no one had ever seen in world football going into that World Cup in 1998. And guess what? The United States, you can go back and look at the statistics. The United States kept the ball even against the likes of Germany and a, a very good Yugoslavia, Serbia team in, in that World Cup. But lost all three games, finished 32nd, and he got the sack. Uh, but he, he decided to go with a formation that included six midfielders because he had Claudio Reyna and, and Tab Ramos, both of these kind of very good creative midfielders. And he had to get Joe Max Moore on the field, who was one of the best uh, kind of um, hybrid players in the hole in, in, in the U.S. that the U.S. has ever produced. And, and he wanted to get Ernie Stewart on the field, too. So he had to ha he had to go with like this attacking heavy strikerless lineup with six uh, midfielders. Although now we've seen teams do that in world football, but in 1998 it was it was crazy. So you don't always want tacticians. I, I give the Steve Sampson example a lot, but the the flip side is I don't want a manager like Klinsman who knows nothing about tactics either. But we've already talked about Klinsman on the show. We don't need to talk about him anymore this week. I mean, there's got to be a happy medium between Sampson and Klinsman somewhere. That happy medium, I think, is Bob Bradley. But Bob Bradley, I guess, is not going to have his job again. So um, anyway. He wins the title. Everything's fine, right? And then this summer, uh, he gave players more time off. I don't really think that was it. I think he began to panic when he saw some of the money that other teams were spending. Manchester United, Manchester City, even the likes of Crystal Palace, getting bringing in a Johan Kabay, a player I think Mourinho probably would have liked. Honestly, I think that's a useful player for Chelsea. Shakiri, 
went to um, went to Stoke. Mourinho even said very openly, I wish I had been able to sign Max Gradle, who went to Bournemouth. So uh, not able to do that. So now what's happened? He started playing with the media. The Eva Canero thing we, we talked about for now it seems like months. I guess it has been two months. And his treatment of Chelsea's medical staff. We've talked about that. And then we, we talk about everything, the excuses, the kind of delusion. Because what would happen is after every match when Chelsea was outplayed, Mourinho would say his team played well. And then that seven-minute rant, he, there's been something after every game. So here, here, here's what's going on now that I want to talk about and get some, some of your input on. He has managed to make himself the center of attention after every match. He has tried to take some sort of role or at least become this heroine where everybody feels sorry for him and for his team. He has now lost a dressing room. I think the Eva Canero thinks she was, she's, she's a medical doctor. She was probably close with a lot of the players, especially the ones who get hurt all the time, which there are some of them on that club. And probably with the captain, JT, John Terry. I think that helped, uh, that contributed to him losing the dressing room. It's pretty clear that his method of calling players out in the media isn't working anymore. I, I saw a comment earlier, I think it was either from Robert or Atta, saying that maybe it's younger players who have a different mindset. Yeah, I think maybe that's some of it, but I think some of a guy like Hazard is probably very different than the kind of guys he had. The first go around, although he did have Arjen Robin, who's a very volatile player, but uh, he never had to call Robin out, I guess. And I'm trying to think, maybe he did, but whatever the case, he has lost his dressing room. So let's talk about those three guys again. J- JT, John Terry, the captain, he and Mourinho clearly are not getting along anymore. And he's a guy that it, it seemed like would, do- would would go to his grave for Jose Mourinho. Frank Lampard was not given a proper send-off by the club. He was basically, he played his last game at Stanford Bridge, didn't realize it would be his last game, and was released. He ends up getting a send-off and a hero send-off uh, from Manchester City, we played one city uh, one season for the following year and carried off the pitch and all those things. So that was a proper send-off for Lampard from English football, but was it really the club he's, he spent 14 seasons with didn't give him a proper send-off. And then there's Drogba, who did get a proper send-off, but I'm not sure Drogba felt like he was used to the best of his abilities last season. And seemed a very hungry player when he came uh, to Major League Soccer. Montreal's in the playoffs because of him. Montreal might win the MLS Cup because of him. Although it's tough. It's tough to say they would because they don't, they don't have one of the better teams in the league, but yeah, he's hot and he's and he, and he knows how to score in big games. Robert C. asks, do you, do you believe that taking the spotlight off the players and putting it on himself works? It did for a while, but I think now the media has turned on him. The media thinks he's he's becoming a buffoon. He's becoming a clown. I think the short knives are out for him in the English press the way they were in the Spanish press and the Italian press, which gets me to my next point. And once we get to to that, you might see where this whole discussion goes. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Rabble.tv. 
If you're enjoying this episode of Divers and Cheats, it's time to give a shout out to the sponsor who made this entirely possible, Rabble.tv. If you're not familiar with Rabble, it's a completely new way of experiencing sports on TV. The concept is simple. The next time you want to watch your favorite soccer team on television, but you're tired of the announcements because you're biased against your team or simply aren't that good, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to a real fan's audio broadcast of the game. I, I find I have to do this a lot. There's been a couple uh, Ata who's contributing in the comments. So a couple times there have been Turkish teams recently playing on television, and I've, I have to mute the announcers. And great, Ata's set up a, a rabble. This is fantastic. And just listen to that. <laughs> Commentary has been much better, quite frankly. If there isn't one available, you can create one. Switch on your mic, call the match. You can sign up for free and try it today. You can sign up with your Facebook account, your Google account, your Gmail, Google Plus or your Facebook account, uh, or Twitter account, excuse me, or just create a username and password. So they make it very easy for you. With Rabble, you can listen to broadcasts on your desktop through your iOS app and now through your mobile browser, which is really cool. I've been doing that, actually, games. I think I'm probably going to do that again at the Tampa Bay-Carolina game on Saturday. Keep If someone's doing a Rabblecast of the Strikers game, so I can keep, keep my ears uh, open for what's going on before the the game. Those of you who don't follow NASL, this is big. Fort Lauderdale and Tampa Bay are rivals going back to 1977. Obviously, there was a big break in the rivalry when, uh, after uh, the eight, the Rowdies folded in 1993, the original five Rowdies. But continuous rivalries from 77 to 93, and then again now since 2010. So, And they're fighting for the last spot in the NASL postseason. So it's going to be epic these next two weeks. Plus, you can join in the conversation by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. So take a moment to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible by heading on over to Ravel.tv today. What is your team and your call? And I can tell you there is so much cool stuff going on on Ravel. If you don't like uh, the NFL announcers, you can mute them and listen to Ravel right now after we're done with our show, of course, and, and listen to Thursday Night Football. You can also, for just about any good college football game, mute the announcers. And let me tell you, for college football, ESPN has some of the worst announcers that, that – you just don't want to listen to and, and analysts that give you the most obvious cliches. And then when college basketball season comes around and you don't want to listen to Dick Vitale, go ahead and mute it and, and listen to Ravel instead. Listen to Ravelcast or set up your own Ravelcast. So Ravel is our sponsor and we love working with them here. So my next point about Mourinho, which is kind of where I'm going. I think Chelsea has spent so much money, Joe, uh, Roman Ab- Abramovich, spent so much money and so much of his personal wealth in building the Chelsea brand, not just in signing players and winning titles, but in building the brand around the world. Here in the United States, they have so many fans, particularly fans that became soccer fans from the time of the takeover on. Or fans that just happened to hang out in that part of London. A lot of people do that. They have a lot of celebrity fans in this country, too. Will Ferrell's a Chelsea fan. Chris Fowler, we're talking about college football. ESPN, he's a big Chelsea fan. I don't think he's doing college football anymore, though. But he, he did college football for 30 years, 25 years on ESPN. He's a big Chelsea fan. So they have a lot of fans in this country. They have a lot of fans in Asia. They have a lot of fans in Latin America. Fewer fans in Africa than Arsenal or Manchester United, but they have a lot of fans there, too. Um. Yeah, Robert C. is making a point about Drogba, which I agree with. They did give him the parade. 
but that, of course, was not when Mourinho was the manager. And then they did give him the, the proper moment at the end of last season. He's the one who got it. And I think Terry's going to have to get it, even though there's strange feelings. But Lampard didn't get it. And Lampard has made it clear to some journalists here in the United States he's not really interested in going back to Chelsea at this point. It, it was awkward. He, he got it. Uh, Gus Johnson's a Chelsea fan, too. Thank you. I knew that. Uh, I forgot that. He didn't think he would get that kind of send-off from Manchester City. But Manchester City gave him that send-off because he hadn't gotten it at Chelsea. So, and he was very emotional about that. But my point is, the Chelsea brand, I think, which there's been so much capital in bringing up, building up and making it into this likable club and this club that has really kind of likable players. In Africa, you've got Drogba, who's just this, 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 this institution, this legend transcends warring parties in a civil war in, in Cote d'Ivoire, transcends political ideologies. Someone that everybody likes. Everybody likes Drucker. You had Frank Lampard, who was one of the most intelligent and thoughtful English footballers of my lifetime. I'm saying English footballers. There's some very other thoughtful, and Thierry Henry is a very thoughtful guy. Vincent Company is known for being very thoughtful and, and and well-spoken, but among English players, it's maybe some of their backgrounds. They're not the most articulate, thoughtful guys, but Lampard is. So guy like him, there, there, Joe Cole was a very likable player for, for, for many years. I think people loved McAuley. People loved Michael Essien. There were just a core of Chelsea players. So Chelsea became this very popular global brand. And now Mourinho is making Chelsea toxic to a lot of people. Mourinho is making Chelsea completely unlikable. In fact, you know, it's very funny. I, I, I have a lot of friends who resent Manchester City getting, coming into all this money here in the United States. And they know I was a City fan before, before the takeover. So they, they're, they're fine with me being a City fan, but they really don't like Manchester City. They don't want Manchester City winning anything because of the money. And now that Mourinho was back at Chelsea – that even that first year he was back, he's like, oh, gosh, we're hoping City wins the title because we don't want Mourinho getting it. And I think some of them might have wished Arsenal, uh, Liverpool had gotten it in retrospect. But they didn't want Mourinho getting it. And the same thing last year. All these people who have condemned City, pulling for City because of Mourinho. It had nothing to do with Chelsea and their spending. It had to do with Mourinho specifically. And then I'm seeing it again this season. Uh, he's the pantomime villain, but... He's even losing some of his supporters. I think Chelsea is less marketable as a football club because of him. Because, look, I don't think Mourinho was ever seen as Real Madrid or Inter. But he's seen as Chelsea. The players have taken on, had took on his personality for a long time. The players behaved like him for a long time. The supporters began to behave like Mourinho. There was a kind of a cult of victimization in the club. And now everybody realizes that just was kind of silly in retrospect. So that's um, I, I, I think it's one of those things where Roman Abramovich now has to think about Chelsea's brand and all the money he's put into it and the damage Mourinho is doing. Now, there's always a post Mourinho period that will come at some point. I'm thinking it comes very soon. So Jose just drew the Champions League game against Dinamo Kiev. Not a terrible result. They probably get out of the Champions League group. 
They're not going to win their group, probably, but they'll probably get out because they're in a soft group. But let's look at the Premier League. They go to West Ham, who's a much better team than they are right now, this weekend. I think they might lose that game. They've had trouble with West Ham in the past, as, as some of you know. Then they play Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. This is so tasty. At the bridge. Klopp is the anti-Mourinho. Liverpool is the anti-Chelsea as a club. I mean, it's 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 so many storylines there. I think they might have a problem in that game, although Liverpool doesn't look good. We saw them today against Rubin. They were fortunate to get a draw against the 10-man Rubin team. So that was a um, that was a bad sign for Liverpool. But that's, a, that's an interesting game. Then they go to Stoke, managed by former Chelsea, FA Cup winner, Sparky, Marcus. I think they might lose that game. <laughs> So, they're in a position now where you look at their upcoming fixtures. Yes, after Chelsea-Liverpool is on Halloween, which is, which is going to be great. You look at their upcoming fixtures and you think, he might be gone by the next international break based on results. Not to mention all this other stuff we're talking about. I think he's lost a dressing room. I think he's lost the reputation. Of the club has been damaged. The Eva Canero thing has, has taken a massive hit on Chelsea's reputation. And I think we're looking at a situation where Chelsea are going to want to move on at some point. Gab Marcotti, who knows this club really well. And Robert C says he's seen it happen in his local pub. Not Everton and Crystal Palace fans cheering for them while they when they scored versus Chelsea. Yeah, I see it happening all the time now with Chelsea. I mean, if Chelsea wanted to be this this hated kind of to use an American sports analogy, this Oakland Raiders like club. Well, yeah, then Mourinho's Mourinho's your guy. He's doing a great job of that. But I don't think that's what Roman Abramovich wanted. That's why you got rid of him the first time, probably. Although Mourinho didn't have this effect the first time. Although there were some people who, who couldn't stand him. So I think what's going to happen is at some point, Gabor Cotti, who's as close to Chelsea as about any reporter, has said that the, the thing stopping this from happening is the buyout. And that he thinks it won't happen for a while because of the amount of money when Mourinho was given the contract extension. But I think it's going to have to happen at some point. So when that happens, Chelsea moves on. They probably get a short-term manager and then go after a Simeone or Klopp they're not going to get now. So he's off the table. I don't know. But they they, they, they maybe have a short-term solution and then a longer-term vision for the club. Or they or Chelsea becomes like uh, Real Madrid and, and, and uh, Juventus. Although Juventus kept uh, – Conte for several years, but they've come like one of those clubs who cycle through managers rather quickly. Maybe they've become like that. PSG might become like that. Although um, Laurent Blanc has hung, hung on for a couple of years now. I, I don't expect it to be there next season. What happens to Mourinho? Now, that's a, that's a more interesting question. Chelsea will be okay once Mourinho is gone. I don't see – my colleague Richard Farley here at World Soccer Talk, he wrote an interesting article about – potential destinations for Mourinho. I don't think he's ever getting the Manchester United job. I don't think he's ever getting the Manchester City job. I don't think he's well, he's clearly never going to get the Arsenal job, right? So he's not getting the Liverpool job. He loves English football. So 
he's not going to get another job at a club in England that suits him unless he's willing to manage Crystal Palace or still can never see that happening. So what options does he have? He has PSG, maybe. He's never going to manage again in Spain. He could go back to one of the big three clubs in Portugal. They're always rotating managers. Could go back to Porto. He could go to Benfica or Sporting Lisbon. Juventus, uh, maybe. He'd do well at Juve for a year or two before things went bad. Bayern will never hire him. They'll never touch Mourinho. So he really doesn't have many job options in the club world unless he's willing to take a step down. Maybe he has to coach internationally. Yeah, I think Robert C. nails it. The fear factor versus Jose and Chelsea is gone. Uh, like when Ferguson left United. Yeah, I think United won so many matches just out of uh, fear. The number of own goals scored against United, uh, that, that opposing teams gifted United late in matches in the Ferguson era and stoppage time goals because of defensive errors was legendary, but it was because of the psychology of playing Manchester United, not just at Old Trafford, even in your home ground in those situations. That fear factor is gone with Chelsea. In fact, I think because players talk to other players, I think the opposing players, the West Ham players this weekend, West Ham doesn't have that many established players in, in, in the English game, but uh, I think we'll see this with Liverpool and Stoke in the following weeks. They know, they, they talk to players on Chelsea. They, they know what the dressing room is like. They know Chelsea's vulnerable. England's a very small country. It's not like the United States. A lot of these players hang out together in London, especially. And the, actually, some of the West Ham guys were probably hanging out with the Chelsea guys. They go to nightclubs together and do all that kind of sort of thing, hang out together. And I think it's no, it's kind of well-known Chelsea is in, in bad shape, that Mourinho's lost a dressing room and they can be hacked. So that's a good point, Robert. Where does Mourinho go? I think he might have to manage a national team. Portugal? Santos has done great since he left Greece and, and took over Portugal. Kiroz before that, they've had a couple managers that haven't done so well. Although Portugal always qualifies for major tournaments. They haven't missed a major tournament since the 98 World Cup. They've gone to... This Euro will be their ninth consecutive major tournament. They always qualify, but they never win, right? Be interesting to see if Cristiano would take to Mourinho at the end of Cristiano's career. <laughs> Mourinho as his national team manager. He might. He might be more willing to work with Mourinho in that than uh, he was at Real Madrid at the end. Yeah, Atta, I think that is asking about the PSG job. I think that very well could be in his future. That's the one club team I could see him managing. Maybe Juventus, but PSG I could see. But if he doesn't, maybe it's the Portugal job. Maybe it's the England job, although now he's going at it with the FA. But the FA wants a sexy hire after Hodgson, and if they don't get an Eng a really acceptable English manager or British manager, maybe they go to, go, go to – uh, a non-English, but uh, someone from the British Isles. They could, they could actually make, if they don't find that guy, I think Eddie Howe might be the right guy, but they, I don't know if they'll go with such a young manager. Maybe Mourinho. That makes England. So here's, here's an interesting thing about England. We're getting close to wrapping this up, but here's an interesting thought about England. The fear factor that Robert talked about with Chelsea and Mourinho that's gone. 
I think that would be in international football if Mourinho managed England a little bit of a fear factor of England, a little bit of psychology of, of uh, again when you face England, that little bit of edge that England might need that they never have in international tournaments, that little bit of moxie and strut that they need. Maybe Mourinho would work there. My colleague Richard Farley also mentioned the United States national team. Yeah, Robert, you're right. Jose does really want to win the Champions League one more time, and that might be at PSG, but he might not get another opportunity. There is no way Mourinho would manage the United States national team the way the USSF is currently structured, so we can we can kind of eliminate that possibility. I mean, I think it's unfortunate. The United States is not going to attract a good manager in this current setup. That's the, that's the bottom line. So that's why... Maybe it's not a good idea to get rid of Klinsman. Klinsman's a great motivator. You know, he's a great rah-rah guy. Kind of maybe a weaker version of Mourinho. Well, actually, no, I'm not going to compare the two. Mourinho has won everything in the game. Klinsman hasn't won anything. As a, as a coach, he's won a lot as a player, but hasn't won anything as a manager. Could not even reach the final of the Gold Cup in 2015. <laughs> Lucky. The U.S. is lucky they won their group in the Bowl Cup in 2015, actually. Should have lost that game to Haiti. But anyway, so I'm not going to compare him, but I think Mourinho, he's not he, he's not going to be able to man it, work under someone like Sunil Gulati and, and the kind of setup the United States has. Could Jose come to Major League Soccer? You know what I think MLS needs to do? The, the technical and tactical coaching in MLS is not good enough. And for every Bruce Arena, you have like three guys. Robert C. mentions Ajax. I don't think that's any more big enough club for him. It was, obviously. Ajax is a massive club, but not, not anymore. It's a selling club now, not a buying club. I don't think uh, MLS can keep going this way without bringing in some more technical and tactical managers. It's a tough, uh, tough thing, though. Because when people ask me who, who are starting second division teams, ask me about NASL, I advise them to hire an American coach or a coach that knows the United States. When I say an American coach, I don't mean – I think of like Peter Novak as an American. I think of Robert Warsia as an American because these guys have been – Thomas Rongen is an American. These guys have been in the U.S. system for so long. But uh, guys with knowledge of the American game, not um, – not an outsider. Jacksonville didn't listen to that, and they've already fired their coach and their owners going around telling people, oh, we, we need to hire a coach that knows the American game, and it's not going to sign a foreign coach. I agree with that. But I think MLS is at a point now where you need some tactical managers and technical assistants. What I would like to see is we had a David Beckham rule in MLS. I want to see a Jose Mourinho rule. That's what we need. Major League Soccer needs a Jose Mourinho rule. Maybe not specifically Mourinho, although he might be the most attainable target. But we need to bring guys in who can be technical directors or coaches that can deal with big personalities, bring some color to the game in the United States, shake it up a little bit, and move this league forward. In the United States and Canada, I should say. That's... Sir Bob Orr, my fellow Manchester City supporter, reminds me. Toronto is the one team that can get players, right? I've said this on a million – I said this on the show the other day that like, Toronto, to me, is 
still the team that should be the elite team in MLS over LA and New York because Toronto is the most cosmopolitan city in North America. It's the place more people want to live from Europe. It's a, it's a city more people want to live in in North America than any other place, in my opinion. It's the, it's the coolest place. So, although it's kind of cold also in the winter when I say cool, but it's the coolest place to be, Toronto. But So maybe it's Canada. But Mourinho, we need a rule with a Jose... Um, yeah, Robert, I like that. Jose did that interview. I saw that with Shaka Hislop saying that he would. The thing stopping him from coming from, to MLS is that it's not the biggest sport in soccer and in, in the U.S. But Jose can bring it to that level because he'll be in everyone's face. Look, Bruce Arena needs help. Bruce Arena is the one guy in MLS who speaks out. He's the one guy. In fact, I've been told by people who were involved with MLS in the 1990s. This is once this gets to an MLS HQ. World Soccer Talk and Ravel are probably getting a phone call from the communications department there. But I'm told we were dealing with a bunch of imbeciles who wanted to Americanize the sport in, in the 1990s. And Bruce Arena was the guy those first couple of years of MLS that said, no, no, no. I'll get all my guys that played for UVA. They're all going to leave this league and go to Europe. Now, you're not going to have any guys. John Harps is not going to play in this league. Claudio Arena isn't what Claudio Arena didn't play in the league anyway. But, you know, all the guys that he had had for, at Virginia, they're not going to play in this league. So he, he he really put his foot down. Now he's the guy who's out there saying things that are logical and make sense. Why are we playing games on turf? And if a guy doesn't want to play on turf, like Robbie Keane, there are exceptions, right, because there's some big games they have to win. He doesn't play him. He'll do the same thing with Gerrard. He did the same thing with Beckham. He understands the sport. He speaks out about the schedule. He speaks out about these things. Now, that's a position he's gotten from winning all these MLS Cups between D.C. and and L.A., winning the CONCACAF region, CONCACAF Champions Cup, when he was with D.C. United, taking the U.S. national team to the, to the, to the quarterfinals. But he's the only guy willing to speak out. Everybody else is kind of in this culture of submission, which MLS and U.S. soccer have created through the years. Trust me, I know about the culture of submission. I've been indoctrinated at times and also pushed back against at times and slapped around. Can't step out of line. You can't say things you're not allowed to say. I think Jose Mourinho coming to the United States, if they were able to get him here, one of these teams, that would be brilliant. But, of course, MLS as a league will probably not want Jose Mourinho here. So... Maybe it's the PSG job. Maybe it's the Portugal job. Maybe it's the England job. But I would love to have them in Major League Soccer. So on that note, I want to thank Ravel.tv. I want to thank everybody for participating in the show tonight. This is a topic I'm going to continue to flush out. We need a Jose Mourinho rule in Major League Soccer. We need to take a guy like him who has everybody checking out on him in Europe, He's irritating players, has lost a dressing room, is quite frankly making a fool out of himself. An embarrassment, a clown. But we need that here because he can manage and we need that kind of thing here. In England, it's gotten old and stale and boring. In Italy, it got old, stale and boring. Spain never even had a chance to get out of the gates. But in the United States, we need that. And we need somebody who actually knows about Tactical training, how you conduct training. Maybe you could bring a couple of good assistant managers over here. Really shake things up. So I'm all for that. So once again, I'm Carter Krishnayer. Thank you for joining me tonight. My Twitter handle is KKFLA737. World Soccer Talk is at World Soccer Talk.
and Ravel TV is at Ravel TV. I want to thank all of you for participating tonight. We've had so many comments tonight, so many listens. It seems like this is a polarizing topic. Um, and before we go, I'm going to ask Robert answer Robert's final question, which is about uh, Jose's falling out with Iker Casillas. That was another shocking thing. That to think that a veteran like Casillas, who got along with everybody and is one of the great players in the history of uh, of Real Madrid, fell out with uh, Jose Mourinho. He falls out with everyone. I think he's fallen out with JT. I know he fell out with Frank Lampard. So, I mean, that, that says a lot about it. But again, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I think he would, he would be good to see him here in the United States or in Canada, so in North America. Thank everybody for joining us. I'm Carter Krishnire. We'll catch you next week, same time, same place. Enjoy your football. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.